0: So for those of you who do not know me, um, my name is Omar Edwards, um, and I am a, uh, I've been here for going on five years, not quite, uh, been a life group teacher for the majority of those, um, deacon for a little, I don't even remember when, I think for about almost a year, and uh, um, and I have the opportunity and the great privilege to be here with you today to uh, share the word. Um, so. These are progressive glasses, and I never wear them though I'm supposed to. So I'm gonna take them off. Um, And by doing that, I may ask someone to read a verse or two for me at some point, um, because I brought the wrong Bible to boot. I can't even, I don't even know what book I'm looking at in front of me. So, um, but we should be all right. We should be all right. Um, Yeah, so today uh, I have been tasked with the, um, with the privilege of discussing several attributes. We are in week two of the session of the attributes of God. And, and so over these next few weeks, we will be discussing 17 of God's attributes. Um, we started with uh, the first three last week, Pastor Russell. Um, and so uh, we're gonna continue with the next three on the list. Um, and as you can see from the uh, from the slide, the the three attributes that we're going to be discussing are the are the transcendence of God, the eternalness of God, and the omnipotence of God. So, transcendence, eternalness, or eternal eternal I, I can't even say the other word, but um, eternalness and omnipotence. And so, um, yeah. So that's kind of and so we're gonna start off we're gonna just do a, a quick discussion a quick I guess summary of what God's attributes are a couple thoughts on that um, and then we'll get into each of the three attributes we'll, we'll discuss transcendence first um, we'll discuss God's eternalness second and then we'll finish off with God's omnipotence and if we have time we'll respond um, we'll respond to those three um, so um, that will be our agenda for the day so uh, let's begin so how should we think about god's attributes how should we think about god's attributes i was was considering that and i was considering what you know the lesson and what, what we were looking at and so before that i said you know what first and foremost let's discuss how we should not think about god's attributes okay so um so when we look at god's attributes first thing is god is not a collection of attributes. And in, in, in the images you're going to see, the attributes are, are, are symbolized by these little colorful dots, right? And so God is not a collection of attributes. Okay? He's not part love, part joy, part omnipotence, part wrath. That, that's 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 not who God is. God is not composed. He's not a puzzle piece. Um, and the attributes of God are not Separate are not singular, are not independent of each other, um, and we can't simply break up God based on certain aspects of his character and say, okay, I understand God is a composition of these things. He is not that. God's attributes are not additions to who God is. They don't add on. God doesn't, today I'm going to, I'm gonna be loving. And tomorrow, I'm going to be judging. And tomorrow, uh, the day after that, I'm going to be this or the other. God does not add on his attributes. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't become more of something or less of something. Um, so his attributes are not things you, you add on. They're not things you develop. Um, they're not qualities that God develops over time, right? Like us, we develop qualities over time. We can be more loving, we can be more faithful, we can be less faithful, (laughs) we can be less loving. God is not like us. And so attributes, let's not think of them as distinct things that God puts on to make himself who he is. Following? And please stop me and ask questions if you have one. If I have an answer, I'll give one to you. If not, there are folks in here who can help us out tonight. Um, So... How else? Well, God's attributes do not balance each other out. God doesn't have emotions and things of the sort that balance each other out. It's not like he has 25% love today and 75% wrath. That's not how God works. It's not like he has to be, if he's judging me today, Um, that he has to forgive me the next day because it has to balance out. Because we think a lot about balance. When you go to therapy or you go and and, and you sit with um, a motivational speaker or somebody who's helping you organize your life, that's a big buzzword, balance. You have to have balance in your life. You have to, oh, balance is not at issue when we talk about God and his character. God is all these things all the time we'll get to that in a little bit the last thing we shouldn't think about in regards to or that we should that we should not consider in regards to God's attributes is tension there is no tension in God's attributes God doesn't struggle with feeling one way or another God isn't stressed out right about acting one way or another he, he got he, he doesn't do that why doesn't he do that? Well, because we should think about God in an appropriate manner. We should think about his attributes appropriately. And that is that God simply is all of his attributes. See, God's attributes are all perfect. His attributes are complete. His attributes are constant. They are not dependent of anyone, of anything or of each other. And they are perfectly and wholly integrated in who God is. So when we talk about God, and we say God is love, is that a true statement? Yes. yes. But I could turn around and say, well, God is also wrath. Is that a true statement? Yes. yes. Is that a true statement at the same time? Yes. 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 And they are constants. While God may not manifest a particular attribute or quality at a particular moment, it does not take away from the fact that he is that thing. Amen. Amen. So that's that's really all I want to say about the attributes. It is God is God is constant. He doesn't have this up and down in regards to his nature. Not like us. He doesn't have this variance. He doesn't have this. He's not volatile like some of us are, right? I, right now, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Put me behind a car in rush hour traffic and things change. Some of my quote-unquote attributes come to, come, come to the surface that would not normally be there that, are not there, that are not here right now. God is not like that. God is not overtaken or overpowered by a particular Emotion or particular action, God is completely in control. God is completely constant. God simply is at all times. Alrighty, so He is complete within Himself, and so the wrong way to look at God is a God of God is a God of love, but He's a God of judgment. No, God is a God of love, and He's a God of judgment. I'm just, and I'm just bringing these two as an example because there's obvious tension, right, in those terms from a human perspective, but not in the Godhead. So, let's start. Let's talk about the transcendent God, transcendent God. Well, let's get into some definitions. Um, And so when we get into some definitions, I have have a couple there. The first one from the dictionary, Merriam-Webster, which is becoming more and more unreliable as the years go by, but that is not the time this is not the time for that discussion <laughs> so the dictionary says that transcendence tran- to be transcendent is to be above or notably extended beyond ordinary limits presbyterian theologian dr john frame gives this definition he says that a transcendent god is exalted in his royal dignity and exercises both control and authority in creation. I'll repeat that. Exalted in royal dignity and exercises both control and authority in his creation. Transcendent. The Bible defines, we'll, we'll take a verse, we'll take Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen and find our definition, our working definition there. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. I love that passage. Something that is very distant, and, and 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 in our case, to understand this better, um, the human mind works better in allegories, for the most part, comparisons. Right? We like to use comparisons and symbolism. Um, Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth, what was his favorite tool of teaching? Parables. Take basically an analogy. You take a story you, you, and bring that story, right, saying one thing to symbolize something else. And for most of us, it works better that way too. There's some of us that are very technical, and we like the very technical. Very, you know, we, we like to read the manual. Um, I don't read manuals. <laughs> um, my wife is in the back like there; she can attest to that. And so, um, so let, let's let's look at the let's look at the the the, the picture. Um, and he says he, the picture of the Most High God. So God is most high and, 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 and even his, one of his names will give us, gives us a clue, gives us uh, some insight into who he is. His name El Elyon, which means God, the most high or the most high God. Um, and so we, we see an allegory, right? Or we see a a, a, a a comparison here of unreachable distance. We think in terms of physical distance. When I remember when I was young, the first time, and, I, and I'm from New York City, um, and so we didn't call the World Trade Center. And if you live in the city, you didn't call the World Trade Center, the World Trade Center, you call it the Twin Towers. Um, and so I remember the, the, the first time I went to the Twin Towers and you could see it from, I mean, obviously, right? Tallest building in New York City, tallest buildings in New York City. And you could walk up and, and, and when you walked up to it, I remember there was one, t- we would stand right on the building, put our hands right on the building and look up. That was a terrible feeling. And it was a terrible feeling because you looked up and you felt like this, this, this nausea and this, this dizziness because the building was, was so far up. You couldn't see the top anymore. It was so unreachably high. And that's kind of the idea. That's kind of the word picture when we think about a transcending God. It is a God who is very, very, very high up, high and lifted up. But if we limit, if we limit the idea of God's transcendence to, f- transcendence to physical distance, then we are doing one God a disservice in understanding who he is. And we're doing ourselves a disservice in being, in trying to understand the greatness of God. Because the transcendence of God is not really, or not only, or not uniquely, a physical distance issue. yes. He is the God of the heavens. His throne is in the heavens, right? He, he's a great God and he is out there. We understand that there's, 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 there's some validity to that, but it's not about the physical distance. It's more than that. Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine say this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's more, than, it's, it's, it's more than just a physical distance. It's a nature issue. God is so much more than we could ever think or consider to be. His greatness, the Bible says, is unsearchable. The true depth and the true profoundness of who God is is something that you and I we'll never be able to comprehend because that's how great he is. When I moved down here to Florida, um, my mom came down and one night she said, cause in New York you have all this light pollution. And so she's, I, I want to see the stars. And, um, I remember on one trip to Orlando it was at night. Um, she was meeting someone over there, so I drove her over there. I stopped in the middle, like on the roads where they have like the, the orange orchards, and I, I pulled over. It was about nine at 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And I pulled over. I said, Mom, get out. <laughs> and she, I said, get out. And she, she she's why she gets out. And I said, now look up. And I didn't say anything for a few minutes. And she just looked up and she saw it was a beautiful, perfectly clear night, and and she saw all these stars in the sky. And she stood there for a few minutes. I, she didn't say a word to me. I I didn't say a word to her. And I said, "What are you?" And then finally, I said, "What are you doing?" Because I was tired and I want to get back home. She said, "I'm counting." I was like, "Ma, get in the car," because she'd never be able to do it. The number of stars, right, going out to the beach. It's the biblical example. The, 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 The grains of sand, right, at the beach, you try to count that. It is unfathomable. And so if you were to pick up one grain, if you were to latch on in the sky to one star, right, I mean, consider yourself and consider that star and consider that that grain of sand in comparison and in contrast to the rest of the stars and the rest of the grains of sand. You would still not understand how insignificant you and me are in comparison and in contrast to the greatness and wonder of God. That is transcendence. And it transcends, forgive the circular definition, it transcends all things. It transcends all aspects of life. It transcends everything we know, everything we do, everything that we, 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 we think we understand about God. It, it transcends our understanding of faith and religion. It, um, it, 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 it transcends what we do here on Sunday. Everything we do is that insignificant in comparison to God's greatness. That is a humbling thought. Now, that presents an apparent contradiction with other attributes. So last week, while I did not get to hear, I was looking for the video, uh, and I could not find it, but I get, did not get to hear Pastor Russell, but I do know that he probably finished with imminence. And the imminence of God is that attribute that, that, that basically teaches how God relates to us in a personal level, that he's present in our human actions. He's present in our human interactions. He's present in our day to day. And that's not my task. I'm sure Pastor Russell did an amazing job as he normally does. So it seems to contradict that particular attribute, right? Because how could someone, how could a God so awesome, how could a God so full of glory and splendor and power, how could a God so grand, be involved in in the life of someone the likes of you and me. But it is not a contradiction. It is not a contradiction. God is involved and God is intimately aware. And that does not detract from the greatness of who God is. And that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. We live in Florida. So, Each of us in our homes right now, right now, there's probably a good bet that there's some couple hundred minute and tiny insects in your home right now. Think about that when you go to bed tonight. You know, over life, we we swallow an average of seven spiders in our lifetime, just putting that out there. now now that i've rattled you a little bit how many of those little minute tiny bugs did you notice today on your way out one two the one flying over your sandwich that's the one i noticed we don't notice those things you don't know i mean there could be, right? We have, we found the lizard yesterday. Who knows how long he's been in our house? We got him out, right? But, but we don't notice because they're small. They don't, they don't catch our attention. They don't catch our detail, right? We always focus on the, on, let me look for this. Let me look for that. I'm going to clean. I, I have visitors. Let me get the spiders from the corners, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that today because, because that's what I'm, I'm going to focus on that little thing. But God is as grand and as wonderful as he is, and he's still able to notice. He's still able to pick up the most minute detail. Man. How is God accessible when he transcends all? How is, how is God accessible? How is, how is, how is he transcendent and, omnipre- and, and omnipresent at the same time? Job 11 7 8 says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Is it higher than heaven? What can you do? Deeper than Sheol? What can you know? First Timothy 6.16 says, Who alone has immortality? Who dwells in unapproachable light? Who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal, and eternal dominion. Amen. It is not a contradiction. Instead, God's transcendence is an unmistakable revelation. It is an unmistakable revelation. Romans 1 verse 20, listen to this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, humanity, particularly sinful humanity, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What is is Paul trying to say here in the context that we're discussing? What he's saying here is that God wants us to understand his transcendence. It is not hidden. In other words, God is saying, I want you to know. I want you to know how great I am. And I put signs everywhere. Wow. You don't need to sit on a Sunday sermon to know how great God is. You don't need to hear a gospel message to understand God's greatness, generally speaking, because he has revealed that to us. In his creation, we wake up in the morning, we hear the birds sing, we see the sun shining, the rain falls from the ground, trees grow, fruits grow. Wow, that is a great, great God. He wants us to know. Salvation is another matter. We need the word for that. But to know that God is great, He wants us to know. <clears throat> so it is not just a revelation it is also an, quote unquote, awful reality. An awful reality. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, little, little word lesson here. The word awful. Now, if you break that down, the word awful should mean what? Full of all. Somewhere in eight, late 1800s, the definition of that word changed. That's why dictionaries are not reliable, people. But in the 1500s, when the word was first used, It meant exactly that, full of awe and wonder, taken aback, awful And while we are having a play on words today, but God's transcendence is truly an awful reality. Isaiah 6, 5, we see Isaiah's vision. He says, he sees sees what he thinks is God, right? He sees this vision of God on on his throne. and, and, And he says, and I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. I am broken. I am undone because I I am in the presence of this transcendent God. Of this holy God. He wanted Isaiah to know. God wanted his people in Israel to know In, in, in Jesus' time. John stood before, uh, Jesus stood before the temple, and we see that in Matthew 12, verse 6. And he said, I tell you, something greater than this temple is here. Praise God. <laughs> that, that is so amazing to me. I, I, I had never read it like that. I'd never read that passage in the context of God's transcendence of his glory. I just... I used to. I've read that in in, in the context of, of his identity, right, as as Jesus, as I say. But man, when you look at it through this light, through his attribute of transcendence, he said something greater than the temple is here. The transcendent God stands before you. Take take ten seconds to soak that in. Sinners dread that feeling. The sinful heart dreads the idea of a transcendent God. Imagine that. Even the look at the contrast, right? Well, that's obvious. Yes, it's obvious. Right? We go back to Isaiah and we see the picture in heaven. And what do we see? We see these, we see these heavenly bodies, these angels, right? These, these, these angels, and they're 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 before the presence of God. They are. Listen to this. They are built and designed to stand before the presence of God in His glory. They are designed that way. You and I are not. They are designed that way. And yet, what do they do? With two wings, they fly. With another two, they cover their feet, their createdness. And with another two, they cover their faces in humility, standing before the glory of the transcendent God. And those are, those are things that are supposed to be there. Imagine a sinner standing before the presence of God. It'd be like dipping gold in, in that acid solution. And when you dip it, all the stuff in the crust that's been on there for the year or two that you haven't gone and gotten it clean, it just peels right off, it comes right out. And when they pull out the ring and they wipe it down, it's brand new. A sinner does not want that because a sinner loves his sin. An unbeliever doesn't want that because they can't stand knowing that their, 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 their life, their heart has been, has been torn asunder and exposed. It is an awful reality, but is it is also an awesome reminder. It is a reminder because a transcendent God forces us and points us to a condescended Christ. I'll repeat that. A transcendent God points us to a condescended Christ. Praise God for that. I used to be a Pentecostal. So if you say amen, I'm not going to be upset. Colossians 1 15 through 20 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for him, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is how the great God who is high lifted up allows us to relate to him through Jesus changes my understanding of the words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. We cannot get to the great God. We can't relate to the great God. We can't connect to the transcendent God if not for Christ. And that is the most awesome reminder that we can have. I forgot these Let's move on to the next one. The eternal God, the eternal God. And so let's go to some definitions. And again, same format. Um, and these notes, I, if, I, I don't know how we can get them. If, if you want them, if you need them, I can get them to you somehow. We can work that out through Nancy or, or Pastor Mark, but I have no problem getting them out. Um, eternal, having infinite duration, everlasting, valid or existing at all times. Dr. John Frame, again, God is the Lord of time, existing above and apart from it, but free to enter it to accomplish his purposes. The Bible gives us Psalm 90 verse two, or any other series of verses, but I picked that one. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The Hebrew word for eternal or everlasting God is olam. And it means vanishing point. Vanishing point. So God is eternal. He, 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 he has lived forever. He will continue to live forever. And that's a concept most of us accept, right? Most of us accept that. No problem. We, we get it. But do we? Is that real to us? in our day-to-day, is God's eternality, I got it, something that is real to us day in and day out. Let's take that picture. God is has existed from eternity past to eternity present, from the vanishing point behind us to the vanishing point ahead of us. God is. Right? And we're we were on our anniversary cruise, my wife and I, first anniversary. And I was so excited because I booked us some jet ski excursion or whatever in the Bahamas. And we get out, and mind you, we discussed this, but that's, again, a story for another day. Um, and she's nodding to, yes, let me keep it a story for another day, so I will. Um, so we get to the water. And so they show us this video about how the, 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 if you get caught behind the jet ski, it could blow a hole in your body. And then she wanted no part of it. Um, it's a video they put after. The, nothing ever happens. Um, and then, then we get out, and she's still So I'm talking her into it. And, so she's get, and then she sees the water. And she's like, where are we going with the jet skis? And in my, in my head, I'm like, where do you think we're going? I didn't say this, obviously. Um, um, but in my head, I'm like, where do you think? We're, we're not going to do this in a pool. We're going to do this in open water. And she's afraid, deadly afraid of water. I actually don't know how I got on the cruise ship to, in the first place. And so we get on, like, ah, she would have been fine. We just get on, get on the jet ski, we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. We, we, we turn, and then all of a sudden I look back, and I don't see anything anymore. <laughs> and so while I was enjoying myself, and she was over, they had food and whatnot, at the, so she was okay at the beach, but I was enjoying myself. I thought, man, had she come here, this would have been a terrible experience for me. She would have freaked out because we can't see anything. The vanishing point, I don't know, if, if, if I flip over, or if the guides leave me out here, I'm doomed, because I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going. Eternal God has existed from beginning to end, and that's in regards to a timeline, that's how we look at God. But uh, let's, let's move forward. So let's talk about um, the everlasting God. God does not depend on time. God does not depend on He is completely independent from time. His existence um, does not originate from anything. He has existed and is not a product of anything. He's not a creation of anything. He simply is. God has existed and exists and will exist in an eternal present. God has no need for time. God has no need for seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, years, decades, centuries, millennia, eons. He has no need for that. You and I do. He doesn't. He's completely independent of anything. Acts 17, verse 24 and 25 says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Hebrew 7.3 says he is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest together. God does not need anyone, and he is independent. He does not exist in time. He is outside of time. He is the source of it. 2 Peter 3.8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Time is irrelevant to God. Five years ago, in, our most, in a difficult moment in our lives, God was there in the present, as he is now. And in five years later, when we come for another set of issues and another set of problems and circumstances, God will still be in his presence. I like that verse. Dr. Tony Evans (laughs) says, he explains that verse, and he says, he says, Well, God is, well, Paul is trying to say there, or Peter is trying to say there, don't use your watch to measure God's timeline. See, God gave us sun, moon, stars. Right? Morning and the evening were the first day. Right? And six days he worked. And the seventh he rested for us, for our benefit. He gives us years to measure our life. He gives us time so, that we, so we know this time we're going to do this, and this time you're going to do that. I'm going to take this time out for me. I told Israel, you're going to work the ground for six years in the seventh year, the year of Jubilee. You're not going to work it. And they did it anyway, and so on and so forth. Time is for our benefit. Time is for you and me to be able to exist, to be able to work, to be able to be successful in everything and anything we do. See, God has no past and He has no future. John 8 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. God is ever present. He is ever present. He created time for us. Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastes, excuse me, three one says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He provided us a way to mark the passing of our finite and limited lives since creation. Time's for you and me. He gave us time so we could have a way to relate to him. Romans 13, 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Right? It's, it's he, you know he's coming. You know there's a time in which I have been, excuse me, a time that I've been given in order to fulfill certain things that God has called me to do and that time is shortening. I need to get on it. All right? I have a, I have a young man who delays on his devotionals and tries to cram them all in one or two days at home. <laughs> right? So he, he crams them all in. It's, it, oh, but there were no, we have to do this every day. You take out X amount of time and do this. Or he's watching a video or he's, watching, or he's playing a game and we tell him X, Y, Z time is when you're going to stop playing or you're going to stop watching the video, right? 8 o'clock comes and he goes, can I have three more minutes? This video is four minutes. It's only four minutes left. He's negotiating. He understands time. Time, it's after he's done that his day is over. He has to shower. He has to go to bed. His day is done. Time is for you and me. God's the beautiful thing about God being ever present is that his eternalness gives meaning to my finiteness, because unlike God, I have an expiration date. One day I won't be fresh anymore. And unlike the loaf of bread in the supermarket, they put the expiration date tag on me after. but they will put a tag on me one day. And understanding that I have a finite, limited, predestined time. God, being eternal, gives meaning to that time. Man made this world bigger. We have made this world bigger to diminish the seriousness of eternity. We've made this, our present life, so huge so that in our sinful nature, we don't have to consider what comes next. Sinners don't want to hear about hell. Sinners don't want to hear about eternal life and death. Because right now, they want this life to have meaning. But in comparison to the eternal existence of God, this life is nothing. Nothing at all. Excuse me. This is a timeline. We'll say this is a timeline of eternity. This here is a life that we live here on earth. And at one point, at one moment in time, our time runs out. And when that time runs out, the next stage begins. We enter into either eternal rest or eternal damnation. And so what happens at this end is important for us because what happens here dictates what happens here. What occurs during this time period affects infinitely what occurs in this time period. And if at the end of this time period... Our lives are not embraced by the love and grace of God. And our hearts are not filled with the faith of Jesus Christ. This then becomes a very scary thing. But God's eternity, the fact that God is in control of all that time, gives me hope, gives me joy. He gave us time so that we could have a relate, excuse me, to relate to him. I'm sorry, I I skipped the part here, hold on. The fact that God has saved us, excuse me, and knows our tomorrows, because he is there now, should give us hope. See, God, God isn't taken by surprise about anything that occurs. We get surprised all the time. Good surprises, not so good surprises. Boy, how we like those good surprises boy, how we do not like those not so good surprises. But God isn't taken by surprise. See, God is ever present. And that brings me hope, you know why? Because I know that if something bad was to happen to me in a year from now, God is already there. Something was to have been tragic in my life in five years from now. God is already there. My strength, my sustenance, my peace, my stronghold, my strong tower, he is already there. It is already prepared for me. Praise God for that. The resources that I need for that moment are already there because God is there now. Ain't that eternal God special? God knows. And that should give us all great peace tonight. He is already there. Isaiah 46.10 that he has declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. First Peter 5, 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In one of my favorite verses of all time in Scripture, Psalm 31, verse 15. I'm going to read from 14. It says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. Let's move on to the the omnipotence of God. And so we define that unlimited power and authority. I I picked another Presbyterian this time, Um, Dr. Herman Bavink. He says, God can do all that he wills and pleases that is compatible with his character. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. God does as he pleases. But before that, there's a there's a power paradox. about God's power there's a power paradox because God does he can do all that he wills and pleases but he can't do are things he cannot do let me rephrase that <laughs> there are things that God cannot do so what can God not do number one God cannot do something that is incompatible with his character he cannot do something that is incompatible with his character so he cannot lie. Titus 1:2, 2, 2, Hebrews 6:18. God cannot increase or diminish in knowledge. 1 John 3.20. God cannot change. Malachi 3:16. God cannot be tempted or tempt others. James 1:13. God cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. Augustine put it this way. But God cannot will anything and everything. He cannot deny himself. Since he does not will it, he cannot do it, because he is unable even to will it. For justice cannot will what is unjust, nor wisdom what is foolish, or truth what is false. Hence, we are reminded that the omnipotent God not only cannot deny himself, as the apostle says, but that there are many things that he cannot do. The omnipotent God cannot die. He cannot be changed. He cannot be deceived. He cannot be created. He cannot be overcome. The other paradox is silliness. Can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it? That is foolishness. God can do all things that are in line with his character. What does that mean? God cannot lie. He cannot go against his word. Can God do something outside of his word? Absolutely, because God has not fully revealed to us the entirety of his nature and character. Do you understand that? But that's not normative. Right? Our everyday behavior should be guided by the word of God, by God's truth. Amen? Because it is in here that we see what God wanted to reveal to us about himself. So he is not going to contradict what he says here. To show off he can show off plenty by following who he is in here so can God heal absolutely can God use you to pray over someone and that person be healed of that prayer amen absolutely is that going to happen every time you reach out and pray for somebody absolutely not can the Holy Spirit guide you to a place of understanding about a situation in your life yes Is he going to do that every single time in that kind of way? Absolutely not. We talked about the paradox. Now we talk about power that he possesses. I skipped that, sorry. So power that he possesses, Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is power. He is the possessor of power. He is the wielder of all power. He is the Almighty God. So, the psalmist says this in Psalm sixty-two eleven. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Power is his and his alone. Power is his and his alone. Then we see God's also the source of power because he, of that power that he has, that he is, he gives it. He shares it. He gives power and authority. Daniel 2, 20 verse, uh, 2 verse 20 to 22, said, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things and he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. He gives power. He gives authority. Don't think because your candidate lost last election or your candidate wins this election. Don't think it wasn't God that did that. It is God. God gives power and authority to who he pleases. And in the manner in which he pleases and he sustains everything with his power. Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hmm. God sustains, he gives, he provides the power for us. And we see this in how he portrays his power. Now, God portrays his power many times in incredible ways. I'm not going to read it, but when you get a chance, go home. If you want to see God and his power enacted and manifested and what he knows how to do and how he does it in in marvelous ways, open your Bible tonight. Do that as a devotional tonight. Read Job 38 to 41. Let God show off through his word. While he was talking to Job, who was had his head down, listening and getting scolded by God because he did not have an appropriate understanding of the greatness, glory, and power of God. Job 38 to 40. Read those three chapters. Take your time. But God does not only show his power in incredibly big ways, he also shows his power in incredibly personal ones. God is the God of the sublime as well. Romans 1:16 says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." God shows us his power in a personal way through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power to turn a, a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. The power to change a sinner like me into a saint. The power to turn corrupt individuals like you and I and make us whole spiritually and make us whole emotionally, and make us whole in every sense of the word, the power of the gospel. He gives us power to have a relationship with him and everything that entails. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches, And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God shows his power and that he changes us so that we can commune with him, so that we can have fellowship with him, so that we can have a love and a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's in a tremendous power in a tremendously personal way. Aren't you glad that it's not just about creation and it's not just about mountains and it's not just about the sun, the moon and the stars. That God, the transcendent God, the eternal God who is Lord of all time from beginning to end and the God of all power. Has set it up so that he can commune and fellowship with us. Revelation chapter 3, and I'll close with this. Jesus says, I stand at the door knock. And what was the ask? First of all, who is he speaking to? Is he speaking? Folks use that as an evangelistic passage, it's not. He's speaking to one of the churches. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Won't you let me in? Because if you do, I'm going to go in and sit down. And I'm going to have dinner with you. I'm going to break bread with you. I'm going to fellowship with you. If you need a picture of what that looks like, look at every time Jesus sits down to have dinner in the Gospels. Every single time someone's life is changed. I stand at the door and knock. The transcendent God the God that is so big has time to do that. The eternal God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, wants to have those moments with us. The God of power that can move mountains and that created the, world, the, the, the earth simply just by speaking It's the same God that wants to show his power in your life, the life of your home, the life of your family, and those around you. How do we react to that? Humbly, opening the door and acknowledging his transcendence, his his eternality, and his omnipotence.